How's it going? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And today I have two good friends of mine that are also charter captains in the same area that I am, and that is Jeffrey Kidwell and Michael Bell. And we are going to dive into transitional periods and more specifically the transition from spring into summer and the challenges that brings and then how to combat those challenges and to better your odds of catching fish. So hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope it helps you catch more fish and uh, we'll see you here soon. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an I Strike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show. Jeff and Mike, how y'all doing? Doing great. Doing good, man. So I got Jeff Thanks in. Sure. You're very welcome. Uh, I got Jeff in here in the room with me, and Mike is at his house. Um, but today, I think we're going to try and focus our efforts on explaining transitional period fishing, because I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't challenge most fishermen. Would y'all agree with that? For sure. Definitely. I mean, 100%. It's 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 a it's a, a really cool thing about this fishery having all the different seasons, but it does make it difficult for sure. It does, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I always find it the hardest on fish that we like to target the most, probably between the three of us. Um, and just for background, Jeff, Mike, and myself all guide and uh, out of Wilmington, North Carolina, covering the area from Southport up to new river so we um fish a lot of the same area and we fish a lot of the same species uh we do it a lot of the same ways and we fish together all the time as well um so this is definitely coming from the perspective of north carolina and uh species such as red drum speckled trout flounder i mean we can get into near shore but i, I was kind of thinking we would focus more on on a uh, red drum and and speckled trout but um, just from just for some context on, on where we are and, and where, what we're fishing. Um, but yeah, I mean, transitional periods for me have always been challenging, particularly on Red Drum, because what I have found, uh, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but there's just, is they're extremely hard to pattern. You can have one day where they're doing everything right. They're swimming shallow. You can see them. Uh, and then you go back to the same, you know, handful of banks the next day and there's nothing and you're like, dang, all right, what do I need to do now? And trying to, trying to figure out the puzzle in, uh, in these transitional periods is, is difficult. And I think today we'll talk about how we try and combat that, um, type of scenario and, um, and if all else fails, what do we what do we go to next that can um, get our clients on fish or or ourselves on fish uh, when when one isn't working out? But um, would y'all agree with that? And y- y'all think that's a good idea? For sure, I like it. Yep. Well, let's talk about red drum first. Um, as I said earlier, I think they they are sometimes the most susceptible to changing their patterns this time of year. Um, so. Mike or Jeff, when y'all start your day, let's say you had a really good day the day before, and you go to um, a bank, same tide, let's say it's same water temperature, nothing really changed, but the fish aren't there. What 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 do you start thinking from that point on? <laughs> I think that 
Oh man, that's that's definitely a challenge. You you start kind of beating down on yourself a little bit. You're like, oh man, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm choosing the right banks. But you know, it's always hard when you had a really good day in that area, that zone, the day before, and they're just not doing it again. So you you really gotta, you kind of gotta go back to the the bank of spots and and start looking around and and trying to look at last year, right? You know, this time last year, where what was I doing, or the year before? and start thinking about that and, and, and really start covering some ground and trying some new different things. And when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm having a hard time finding fish, I, I definitely like to, to power fish and really aggressively move around, move quickly, um, fish larger baits that I can cast super far top waters, things like that. Mm-hmm. Search baits, mm-hmm. you know, trying, trying to either spook some fish or, or trigger a reaction bite, things like that. Yeah. I think that's a good point too, because, at least on what you said on spooking fish, because a lot of times if that same type of scenario where you're like going down a bank that was good yesterday and there's nothing there. And then you go to another bank and you spook one, you're like, okay, most likely there's more fish on this bank than just one. At least Mm -hmm. that's what I usually think because more times than not, that's the case. I mean, it might not be, you might not see 15 singles, but if you spooked one or you mudded one, Chances are you'll probably see two or three more on that on that same bank. And you know, if there, if you saw a lot of fishing in the zone the day before, they're probably somewhere close by. And during these transitional periods, the weather patterns can be so temperamental, right? Big, big temperature fluctuations in the water temperature, air temperature, as well as barometric pressure. So I think that those fish can sometimes drop off a little bit deeper. So maybe switching over to some bait or just, or bouncing some heavier jig heads with, with, you know, maybe gulp or, or something that has some scent just to kind of trigger that bite and get them fired up a little bit and in deeper pockets can, can help a little bit with that. But mm-hmm. usually if, if, if you found a zone that was really good the day before, they're probably somewhere close by, maybe just not eating or they're maybe just not getting as shallow as they were before. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, how about you? What Same question posed to you is, do you agree with, um, with Jeff's tactic, I mean, I, I, I think that's kind of what we all do. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think, I think a lot of times if I have a good day on a bank and it's not happening the next day, just as like uh, same idea of going deeper. But I also, you know, we there's a lot of pressure down here, so just because it's not happening in that one spot, um, I'll take and pick up and run and try to run that pattern. Think about other banks, other places that are nearby or, you know, in that same kind of built the same way or have the same topography. And I'll go to those banks and run that same pattern again. If I hit two banks, maybe three banks, and they don't have the fish on them, you know, then it's time, all right, for a game change. Go do something different. Maybe take a different zone, a different type of bank. But a lot of times I'll run that same pattern at least for a couple banks just to see if, you know, maybe somebody else has already fished it on a little bit higher water, 45 minutes before I got there and I never saw them and already pushed the fish off the bank or whatever the case may be. So I try not to give up on it, but I at least, you know, I, I try to pick somewhere different and see if I can replicate that. And if they can't, then, yeah, that same time while I'm working those areas, throwing, you know, bigger jigs, top waters, whatever, but trying to see if I can find it and go ahead and eliminate that puzzle piece. The more pe- I feel like a lot of times this time of year, as much as you're trying to find the fish, it's all about what you can eliminate or what parts of creeks or what banks you don't need to be on just as much as which ones you do need to be on, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, I'm with you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think this is a good example of why uh, I keep a fishing log and, and when it can really come into play, because a lot of times if you're on the water every day, you're like, man, I don't really need that because I already have a feel for where the fish are on a daily basis. Um, but when it comes into play in, in a fishing log could even be pictures that you've taken in the past, you know, and you can just look back in your iPhone and be like, okay, you know, uh, May two years ago, we caught them right here. If you have GPS location on your on your photos. If not, you might not remember. Um, but I always kind of fall back to that. Uh, I keep an Excel sheet for 
if I've had a tough day, when I get home, I'll look at that fishing log and be like, okay, you know, the trout were biting really good this time of year, two years ago here, and uh, the water water temperature was this, and so if if red drum fishing doesn't work out tomorrow, I'm not able to find them as, as good as I'd like, then I can I can go try and uh and trout fish. So I think keeping a fishing log is important and I think some of the important um data points to have in that if you do end up keeping one or you already do keep one is one obviously is the species, two is the water temperature, um location and tide. Uh whether it's high outgoing, mid outgoing, you know, slack, what have you. Um, But yeah. I think a big one to add to that is water temperature range. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. Not just like an individual water temperature, but like I noticed the other day, or at least over the past few weeks, we've had some really warm days and then we've had some cooler nights, you know, or cooler days. And looking at that range of water temperature where it starts at 68, 70 in the mornings, but by the afternoon you're at 76, 77 um, in some of these areas, that really changes a lot more. You know, that water temperature having such a huge swing throughout the day definitely makes a huge difference in how these fish act. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, I, th- I think the tide thing is important too um, because – I mean, I've seen this plenty of times. I know y'all have seen it plenty of times as well, where there's just some banks that where the redfish feed on them on an incoming and they don't feed on them on an outgoing. I mean, they might, um, but just 90% of the time, the fish that you're going to see is on the incoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not all banks. It's just like certain ones. And it might be just the way that the water pushes bait into that area that turns those fish on. Um but that, that to me is like one of the most important things. Um, but Mike, you're right. Tide or uh, water temperature range is super important because it there there is a range to where fish will start acting a certain way, in my opinion. Um, given you know if the barometric pressure is the same, if 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 you believe in that type of stuff, which I, I'd say we probably all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, I think that temperature range really affects their mobility and how much they're moving around, you know? Mm-hmm. Once it stabilizes, a lot of times those fish kind of get a little bit more patternable. But, you know, talking transitional periods, the instability of water temperature really affects the mobility of fish. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's talk about power fishing for a second because Jeff brought that up, and I, I, I do think that's, in my opinion, probably one of the best ways to catch fish if you're having a tough day do y'all have baits that you like to use i know jeff you mentioned gulp which i totally agree with i'm a huge fan of gulp on either tough days or or fish that are seemingly lockjawed um when you are power fishing let's say on on different tides right because it kind of depends on the tide but um what what do y'all go to i probably have three Three, three power fishing baits. One is a, a gulp, three-inch, you know, white gulp. That's, I mean, I feel like everybody's, one of everybody's go-to baits for around here. I mean, redfish, flounder, trout, everything pretty much eats it. Croaker. Um, Croaker, I <laughs> love it. Croaker will save the day sometimes. Yeah, you can, yeah, you cut that up into little pieces on a little bottom rig. You can, you can crush them crush some croaker on it yeah um so that's one of them um a spinnerbait just like a redfish magic spinnerbait that one no skirt just like a a a little gold spoon um even just a spoon itself works great but i i don't find myself using that all too much i I more kind of uh, gravitate towards a spinnerbait um with with any sort of paddle tail on it will work i usually go to a z-man with with a darker colored paddle tail something like red bone or mm-hmm. or bloody mary or something like that those are z-man colors mm-hmm. um kind of arbitrary but just darker paddle tail anything in that realm will work and then i uh, of course top water those are my kind of big three um power fishing baits that i like to use i think people yep. underestimate the power of a 
top water, even this time of year. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people think it's might might be still a little too cold, I guess, to use a top water. But I mean, even if you have fish come up and swirl on it, mm-hmm. at least you know that they're there, right? Uh, if you're paying attention, especially in in this transitional period, um, you know, from from spring into summer where you've got these bigger schools of fish breaking up, you still have some, those fish that are still really schooled up They're They're somewhat spooky. So mm-hmm. at least you're, you're able to see those groups of fish spooking off the plug. If they're not going to eat it and know that they're there and you can kind of adjust and, and try some different baits from there. Yeah. But at least you can cover tons of ground quickly to yep. find where those groups of fish are. I'm with you. Mike, what about you? I would say I have to agree with at least the top water. And um, typically, I'm not throwing spinner bait. I just like to throw a very basic, just jig head with um, you know darker paddle tail. Same idea. Um, I don't know. I feel like the the ability when I'm power fishing, the ability to cover water and pick up the the trout and the flounder, the other things besides just redfish. You know, I know the flounder of smoke center baits and that kind of thing too, but I feel like it adds a little bit more confidence in my book to go without the center bait just to be able to pick up the flounder and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say probably the last thing that I would I would pick up occasionally is going to be a wake bait. Um, just being able to cover that water, especially that do not want to commit to a top water, especially if I get one refusal or one fish that spooks off of it, you know, I'll kind of be back and forth between a wake bait and a, and a top water. Yeah. It's kind of so, wild how, um, I don't remember when we all started kind of using wake baits, maybe three years ago ish. Yeah. Um, how s- <laughs> it's, it seems like some days the fish will, uh, much prefer a wake bait over a, top water and some days they much prefer a top water over a wake bait at least in my experience i've had i i have experienced that for sure but very few times (laughs) 90 90 percent of the time nine times out of ten the uh you know we'll walk the dog style you know skitter walk or you know a mirror lure or something like that 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 does does the trick for me yeah 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 but a wake bait can be the ticket especially with clients that can't quite work it right. Oh my know? god, game game changer for that. Yeah, it's a game changer. Yep. Um, I will say the other thing that I add to that is so last year. This is something that I just kind of put together yesterday. Um, being out on the water, but looking for certain areas like when I'm power fishing, I kind of have two sets of rods. So if I'm working down a bank and it's an area where I see a lot of bait a lot of full-size mullet or something like that, that's when I'll go ahead and break out that top water and, you know, the wake bait, something a little bit bigger with a little bit more disturbance. Mm-hmm. But if it's like it's very, very calm or a lot smaller bait, then I typically try to stick with, you know, just a paddle tail. Mm-hmm. But today, you know, we, we got into a couple areas and there was some deer mullet, but it wasn't great. And then I made a big move, switched to completely different creeks, different locations, and every single little tiny creek mouth had just wads of like four inch mullet sitting in it. Mm-hmm. And we sat outside of one of them for, I don't know, two or three minutes just watching, just seeing what was happening. And the tide was kind of in that weird phase of just starting to switch. And as soon as I could feel it start to push me the other way down the bank, I was like, all right, let's just start watching, start watching. And all of a sudden it was just like two or three redfish. I was actually talking to you on the phone when this happened yesterday, Cameron, but it was like two or three redfish just came swirling through the middle of these uh, mullet balls sitting in these little creek mouths. And, you know, that right there, just that key, that one little thing showed me, all right, these fish are already starting to focus in on mullet or on bait fish. Because last year we didn't really see them until the end of June, beginning of July, before the mullet really started to get here. And those fish had that mindset change, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. over to bait fish. So, you know, paying attention to what's on the bank and kind of using that to dictate which bait I want to throw and how I feel like I can effectively cover that area um, with the highest probability chance. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Pay attention to your uh, surroundings for sure is a large yeah. part of it and, and something that I think 
I mean, I definitely forget sometimes. I'm just like, this is my comfort bait, and I know it'll catch some. And instead of being, oh, wow, there's a bunch of mullet in here, I should probably throw, you know, a topwater or something. Um, so that's a, that's a really good point. And then the only other point I want to bring up, and, and I'm sure y'all do this too, um, my power fishing baits, so if, I'm, if I've had, you know, let's say it was low tide in the morning and didn't really see much as far as redfish are concerned, um, and the tide is now mid or, or high and I'm power fishing, it's kind of de- tide dependent on what power baits I'm going to use. Like if it's, if it's high tide and the water's in the grass, definitely a spinner bait, definitely a spoon, um, throwing at every grass pot- pocket I can find that has sparse grass. Um, if it's low tide, I'll generally gravitate towards like a, a smaller paddle tail, like a three inch paddle tail. Um, just because I feel like anything will eat that it's similar to, similar to like a, a, a spinner bait, but maybe even more of a realm of, of how many fish you can catch with it. Cause you can catch smaller red drum on it. You can catch normal size red drum on it. You can catch trout, you can catch flounder, you can t- catch croaker, whatever. Um, and, and then the other big one that I use, especially on high tide, uh, and and if there's a lot of shrimp around is a popping cork with a voodoo shrimp. Um, definitely starting this time of year. Only issue with that, with that, um, type of bait is it's kind of hard to work a large area like you would a, a top water. Um, because you're not really moving it that much. You're just popping it here and there. So it's more of like, okay, that one little cove right there with sparse grass in the back, that looks good. I'm going to throw it right in the middle, right up along the grass, pop it five or six times, nothing, keep going, cast another 40 yards in the other direction. Um, and then, the, of course, the other one is, is topwater for sure. More of, a, more of a high tide thing for me unless I'm just in a low tide area that I think has enough water, but for me, like if they're belly crawling, I usually don't throw a, a top water just because I feel like it's hard for them to get their bodies underneath that top water to come eat it. Not to say that it's, it's not possible because we've had to eat gurglers and stuff like that when they're belly crawling or when they're shallow. Um, so it's, it's definitely possible, but I generally like to, uh, use the top water when there's a little bit more water. Um, but yeah, I guess those are, are th- uh, a lot of the same power baits. We got spinner bait, gulp, popping cork, top water, paddle tails. Um, is there anything else? Spins. Spin. I think Ozzie, spins. Ozzie yeah. would love a spin. I think he would definitely add that to the realm, which he kind of, um, I mean, I, I, I've obviously known about spins and, and, and liked them a little bit, but Ozzy really kind of turned me on to him a little bit when I fished with him a little bit last year and, and we didn't crush them, but we caught a couple of redfish on it. But the, the nice part about it is there's extremely weedless. Um, mm-hmm. if you, you know, not all of them, but ones we were using are a little bit heavier and, and super weedless. So you can kind of pull them through that grass at higher tide and you could work them pretty darn quickly and you could just sling the crap out of that thing, which was, which was nice for, for power fishing. So yeah, that's true. Anything that you can sling far and work fast and get bites is is the key. So whatever bait you can do that with, I think, is the key to power fishing. Yeah. So top waters are, you know, something you can move really fast. Spinner baits and anything you can move quick and cast yep. far. Top waters are just, they're such a, uh, a double-edged sword, if you will, because you could be, pulling that thing over fish all day long and never get a blow up. Um, so it, it's definitely one of those baits where if I use it for 30 minutes, 45 minutes and I haven't gotten anything, I'm like, all right, I need to switch to something else. Definitely. Um, even if I'm fishing the same area and fishing the same way, I'll switch to a spinner bait or a spoon or something along those lines, just in case, um, you know, they're not being super aggressive. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, you can't be afraid to use a top water during all seasons and all transitional periods, right? Yeah. You know, we, we saw this year. Yeah, for the longest time, man. I think, I mean, at least I did. I was like, oh, it's winter. I'm not going to use a top water. Yeah. And um, I think Jeff proved me wrong on that probably four or five years ago. And um, 
make him 100% work for a winter time school and it can work really well. They just have to be fired up. Fired up. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you if you find the right school in the wintertime, December, January, February, those months where water's cold, most of the time the fish are pretty lethargic and picky, you can sometimes find uh, a flat or a bank or a creek that has a school of fish on it where the water's just a little bit warmer than the rest of the water, and there's bait there. You can find... if, if the redfish have found a spot where the water's a touch warmer and there's a big school of pogies, and every once in a while you're seeing a, a fish crashing on bait or they're just crushing whatever baits you're throwing at them, try a topwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's, it's so much fun to watch them. It Especially is when those big schools are, are on it, you can sometimes see five, ten fish trying to eat the topwater all at once. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, so do you change your cadence up from what you would normally see during like the summertime when you're throwing them at those wintertime schools? Uh, man, if, if you find that right school, you can you can work it as f- you can skid it on the surface and they'll eat it. You know, yeah. as fast as you can skidding, or I mean both. But yeah, yeah, generally pr- probably a little bit slower, maybe in the wintertime. Generally, maybe a little bit slower, but. Again, you find that right group of fish, you can skid it on the surface and they'll they'll come up and crush it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um All right, we got I think we covered all our favorite power baits for when we can't uh we can't see them. And I think something I wanted to bring up um that's still a challenge for me just being that I think the majority of what I do and the majority of what all of us do is sight fishing um, is when do you transition to like, okay, the fish aren't shallow. I need to go fish, you know, maybe they dropped off and, and this is red drum. Maybe they dropped off into deep holes. And uh, my, my struggle with that is always like, all right. Cause in the back of my mind is I'm always thinking, all right, there's gotta be one bank that's working. That's and after five or six banks and it's still not working, I'm like, there's still got people one bank that's working. I, I have that mentality. Um, I for sure have. That and mentality. but it, you know, thinking and then when you when you get in your car at the end of the day, and you're driving back, a lot of times I'm like, dang, I should have tried a deep hole with like cut shrimp or or something because, given the fact that there was you know barely any fish on the bank, um, getting shallow. And I know that there's fish here because I saw them two days ago. What are the chance? What are the chances that they're just dropped off deep and they're just in some sort of water temperature cushion in a deep hole, or that's where the bait is, or for whatever reason, maybe the barometric pressure dropped and they're just trying to get comfortable. Um, and I think Mike, great. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're you're better at that at at uh, fishing deep holes. I mean, Judd, Judd is good at this too, where, um, especially when he's fishing out of his bay boat, when um, he can find these deep holes that have fish in them uh, on days when a lot of times they're not wanting to work shallow. So at what point, Mike or, or Jeff, uh, are you thinking, okay, I need to go at least try a handful of these deep holes? If it's, Let's say you have... Spinning clients and they're okay throwing bait because I know sometimes we have fly clients that all they want to do is throw the fly, which is totally fine. But let's say you have spinning clients are down to just fish. However, mm-hmm. at what point do you transition to that? Um, I would say I mean if I if I try, let's say I ran trip the day before, or two days before, and I saw them on this bank and I felt comfortable or confident that those fish should be there and they're not. Um, like I said earlier, you know, I'll run that, run that same pattern a day or, two, or a time or two. And then it's like, all right, what I'm looking for, just anything that's the closest to that point. Where, where can these fish go that they can drop off deep, but still have quick and easy access to those, those areas, those flats, those banks that they were on. So a lot of times I'm looking for either a deeper oyster rock 
especially knowing like how the creek lays out and seeing a lot of these that you know negative lows um you can kind of pick up on all right here's where the majority of the water is or here's a turn hole or whatever i mean even using your electronics you can figure that out but really just dialing into what is actually in those corners or in those holes to be able to hold those fish um especially this time of year it seems like a lot of these fish before the mullet really start to show up before the grass jumps start to show up when they first push in and they're breaking up out of these pools they're looking for a lot of crabs they're looking for you know any kind of bait that's been held over through the winter on those oyster rocks so that's kind of my go-to that's the, that's the first spot that i go to is a deeper hole that has you know either an oyster rock or an oyster bank very close or adjacent to it that has just slightly deeper water and i'm, I'm going to push to those areas um now during the summer that changes a little bit just because they're you know they're looking for mullet they're looking for areas that are holding different bait um but the oysters are still going to play a play a play a part in that being able to hold that smaller bait anyways but um it seems like a lot of times during the summer I'm looking for more open flues or mud flues that just have the bait just outside of the current. And those fish seem to like to slide up into there. And you may have to sit 15, 20 minutes. That's the other thing that I think a lot of people, especially when you're power fishing this time of year or even during the summer, those fish don't want to sit there, but they want to, you know, they'll kind of slide up into that area. They'll feed, then they'll drop back out. They'll slide up into that area. They'll feed, then they'll drop back out. But looking for some kind of transitional change, whether it's a hole in a creek that's six to eight feet and that has a three to four foot slew off the side of it. Um, and kind of fishing that transition between the two, those two areas um, seems to be really good for me. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, for me, <clears throat> usually instead of going to fish deep holes, I'll just transition to trout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, sort of somewhat the same thing. Yeah, right? sort I mean, of somewhat the same thing. Um, but I guess you're fishing more current and not maybe not necessarily deep holes. You're fishing deeper water. Yeah, yeah, current that's right. Areas where you think trout are going to be. Yeah, um, and this is a this is a good time of year for trout for sure. Um, and I, it's just a bonus that I love fishing for them, and and I think a lot of the people that I I take enjoy fishing for them too. Um, but that that kind of I guess brings up a next point. It, you know, at what point do you just say the redfish isn't happening today? What are you going to focus on next? Um, I think most of us would probably transition to trout. But uh, at what point are you like, okay, you know, the flounder are here. Let's let's try and catch some flounder. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that happens, um, especially in the summertime when when trout fishing midday is. is tough sometimes nearly impossible um flounder can can definitely be a good fallback you got to fish something a little bit slower a little bit you know more catered towards the bottom you know Mm -hmm. that those they're bottom feeders so you got to fish something that is going to be dragging on the bottom a little bit and fishing a lot of the same areas that you would for redfish but changing your bait a little bit maybe changing your cadence um but yeah, flounder can be a great fallback. They they're not nearly as temperamental as the redfish, you know. Mm-hmm. On those days where you, even the bait guys and the, and the sight fishing guys can't catch a, a redfish to save their lives, usually can pick up a flounder or two. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that a lot of people miss with the flounder is just how shallow they will get. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, we know this from just pulling, you know, in a foot or two of water all the time or less, but. Even on the days that I pull a bank and I don't see a redfish, especially during the summer, it is rare that I don't spook a flounder off the bank. Oh, yeah. I've seen some so, absolute giant flounder spooking out of a, a foot or two of water. I think the biggest, the handful of biggest flounder I've ever caught was in shallow water. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and they'll, they'll get so shallow, they'll jump out of the water <laughs> to eat bait sometimes, which is crazy and i remember um someone told me i I can't remember who it was called a flounder on top water this is like three years ago and Uh i was like yeah i was like what 
And then two years ago, it happened to me. And I was like, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, it's very rare, but it's happened a handful of times. Yeah. In the base. In the base, yeah. Bigger base. Um, yeah, tra- trout for me is one of my biggest fallbacks. And luckily, we have uh, a good number of them this time of year. And um, I'm really just – I'm looking for the same type of stuff that I'm looking for in the fall, which is just current um, eddies, backflows, a little bit of structure, fishing, you know, sloughs, um, fishing slightly deeper water for sure. But anywhere that there's a point that sticks out or an oyster bed that sticks out and it's creating some kind of some type of current seam, um, I'll hit it. And I'll, it, you know, I don't hit stuff for too long thinking that, oh, yeah, that e- even if, let me put it this way. Um, Jeff and I went fishing yesterday. We went scouting yesterday, uh, specifically for trout. And we fished one spot right at the beginning. It was perfect tide, uh, good, good amount of water movement and casted, casted, casted. I don't know, maybe made 40, 50 casts between the both of us combined in one spot where I was like there, we caught 15 of them here a handful of days ago. No bites whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it's just, okay, we're going to go hit every spot that has a good look to it. And um, a good look being kind of what I explained earlier. And uh, you'll find that the trout will move just as much as redfish will. Um, they'll move up up in a creek. They'll move back in a creek. They'll move uh, half a mile one way and then half a mile back. And it's just... Uh, it's a game of prospecting, and a lot of times if you can find one, you can find more, or, or if you find one zone, you can find a, a, you know, a handful of banks in that zone that, that are holding trout, and uh, we had a pretty good day. I mean, we didn't focus our entire day on catching trout, but we've, we found um, a handful of banks that were holding them that were not holding them um, a handful of days ago. So if you got a bank that you're going to trout fish on that you, you – Maybe you've caught fish there in the past, or maybe you had caught fish there two days ago. You don't get a bite. I wouldn't say that that means that the trout aren't biting that day. Mm-hmm. I just most likely they've just moved on somewhere, or maybe that there's maybe there is trout on that bank there, but that group of fish just isn't eating that day. Mm-hmm. You just got to find a, a zone where they want to eat. Have y'all, um, Mike, have you found that to be true as well? Yeah, I was gonna say last week I had a I had a free day or two and I went and I went and scouted by myself and same idea, you know. I went Tuesday, had I don't know, let's say seven different spots that produced. Had a trip the next day. Um, the redfish weren't doing it, so we transitioned over once the tide got up and we weren't able to sight fish anymore and I kinda lost confidence in the red fishing. Um and, you know, we started trout fishing and man, we hit three spots, three spots that I had the highest probability confidence in from the day before fishing and did not produce a single fish. And, you know, it was just one of those things. I'm like, all right, they've, they've moved on or they're not, not eating just like you said. But as soon as we found the right spot, I mean, it was five casts in, bam, we had our first fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this time of year, you know, if they're there and they're, they're wanting it, it, it's going to happen pretty quick. Um, and yeah, it's just a game of a game of chance and moving around a lot and just finding the right spot to make it happen. In. But, um, you know, it's, I feel like with trout fishing, especially this time of year, there's, there's no, I'm trying to think of how to word this the best. There's no spot that I would count out on an individual day Mm -hmm. unless the weather's just so bad that you can't sit there in your skiff i mean that tuesday that i fished it was blowing 25 and i was taking waves over the bow standing and you know standing up on the front with the trolling motor in and i was still catching fish so like if you can sit there and you feel like it's a spot that they can be in it's a good chance that they're there and you're gonna know pretty quick but, you know, even if it doesn't look as good as you think it should be or look as good as something else that you fish, at least make three or four casts on it, you know, and see because sometimes 
I feel like a lot of times this time of year, there's a lot of people, you know, not a ton of people in the water, but there's enough people out there that after a few boats go through a spot, it could turn it off for the day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they don't necessarily move far. They just move slightly out of boat traffic or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times you find them in very odd little spots that you wouldn't think or wouldn't be your top spot to go to, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think another point on on trout fishing along the lines of what Mike sa- is saying is that there can, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but like trout can be su- in such a teeny, teeny little spot. Mm-hmm. And you could be fishing one bank, one eddy that looks so good, and you are casting three feet away from them. And yep. if you cast it three feet to the left of where your lure just landed, you're going to get hit every time. And it's, it's so much about just how your bait is presented and if it's at the right water depth. And so I guess my point here is try not to make the same cast twice until you get a bite. Is cast further out the bank one time, cast closer to the bank one time, dead stick it one time. Don't even, don't even twitch it. Just let it, you know, drift. I'm, I'm mainly talking about a, a DOA um, shrimp that <laughs> we <laughs> pretty much all we fish now. Um, uh, but, you know, just vary your, vary your retrieves, vary your, how many times you're popping it, vary where your lure is landing, vary the distance off the bank, um, cast a couple, you know, closer to the bank, cast one maybe between you and the bank and cast one pretty damn close to your boat and see if that works. And I'd say after you kind of feel like you've covered your ground, in that area, then it's time to move. Um, but you yeah. can do, you know, you can do that really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just do that at every spot. And mo- more than likely you will find some trout spots if you do that every time. Um, in the big, oh, go ahead. No, that was, I think I was done. <laughs> um, I was gonna say, I think a big thing, at least for me that I've noticed is a lot of times boat positioning and, Setting yourself up, especially talking about a drift with a DOA or, you know, really any bait that you're dead sticking through these these runs, these seams, but getting the right boat position, you know, I always try to start way off the bank. I want my first cast, as long as I can cast it, or as far as I can cast it, to land kind of on the outside, closest to me of where I think those fish could be. And then after I make, you know, three or four casts, I'm going to take the boat and go ahead and move it in five feet. Mm-hmm. Spot lot. Make those same casts. Move in another five feet. Make those same casts. But I really think a lot of times, you know, in the fall, there's a lot of fish in a zone or a big school, and it's just kind of like redfish. You know, there's a lot of eyes, a lot of lateral lines that are, you know, able to fill and notice if you're there or not. And I think these trout kind of operate the same way and knowing, even though they're in deeper water, they just kind of know when something's up or something's wrong. Some days it doesn't matter. Some days it really does matter. Um, but really starting out off the bank and working your way into those fish instead of coming in and just setting up right where you think it should happen or where it happened the day before, because they definitely do move, even if they're in the same zone, just moving in and out off the bank a little bit, depending on the tide. And it could be as much as a three inch difference in the tide before they move up to where they were sitting the day before or mm-hmm. dropping out of the bank. So. Yeah, that's a super good point. And that yeah, that like um that really comes down to patience for me, at least, because I'll be like, Oh, there's you know, I caught trout here yesterday, I'm gonna set my boat up right where it was. And yep. um and then I'll start catching them like five feet off the boat. And I'm like, dang it. I'm probably like pretty much right on top of them. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree with you, and it and it really is just patience and taking your time. And um, I think when I get bad at that is if I've hit like two or three spots and I hadn't caught in a trout yet, then I'm like just rushing from spot to spot and and really not taking my time to pick it apart um, from a distance or starting fr- at a distance because you, like Mike said, you'd be really surprised especially on lower tides. I mean, sometimes on higher tides too, um, where those trout are positioned. 
Uh, and, you know, it could be a high tide and they can be 10 yards off the bank, uh, if not more. So that's a really good point. Um, well, I think we covered trout. Uh, I got I got something to add. Let's hear it. Between both you guys, do you change your tactics um, as far as the transitional period of fall and spring fishing for trout? Meaning the ways that you fish them, maybe the baits that you fish, where you fish, those kinds of things. The difference between your, your you targeting trout in the fall or, or just the way that you think fish are acting or what they're doing in those two different periods. So Mike mentioned something about the, the fish being um, a little bit more schooled up in the fall than they are necessarily mm-hmm. in the spring. So can either of you guys kind of speak to that? I, um, as far as lures are concerned, I use the DOA in both the spring and in the fall. Um, I find myself for whatever reason, throwing topwater a little more in the spring than I, for trout than I do in the fall. Not to say that I don't do it in the fall. Um, but I just feel like the, maybe it's water temperature. I just feel like they're a little more susceptible sometimes to eat a topwater this time of year. And then one bait that I don't really throw at all, uh, in the spring for trout, but I do it a lot in the, in the fall is trout tricks. Um, and I don't know why. I really haven't. I guess I really haven't spent a lot of time throwing trout tricks in the uh, in the spring for for speckled trout. And um, I guess that's just because the DOA works so well for for whatever reason this time of year. Um, and then to your point, Jeff is yeah. I think they're less schooled up. Not to say that you can't post up on a bank and catch fifteen to twenty five, but I think you have to be a lot more willing to to accept that some of these eddies and banks are going to only be holding a handful of fish. And um, a lot of times just putting together a day of trout fishing is hitting, you know, tens, uh, if not, you know, 10 banks or 20 banks and catching one to five off, you know, off each bank, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, not Whereas in the fall, you can just post up a lot of times and just right. hammer them. Um, so I, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. I think that added to it. That's a little more of the difference for me. Mike, any input from you? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like in the, in the springtime, DOA for sure, I, I, man, it's hard for me to step away from that bait, especially in the spring. Um, at least a lot of times I feel like I'm not fishing the right tide to really be able to throw top water. I threw top water the other day. I had one blow up. Like, I know they'll eat it, but um, it just seems like a lot of times I'm a lot more focused on just throwing the DOA and getting down deep, especially here lately. We've had a lot of dirty water. Um, you know, some springs are a little bit cleaner, and I think that's when I'll break out that, that top water a little bit more um, just because it's easier for those fish to find when they're coming up versus when it's dirty out. But um, I think in the springtime, my mindset goes to – bigger water if that makes any sense to y'all just fishing more open stuff closer to the river um and really just picking those areas apart and then when it comes to fall time i know these fish they're pushing in to feed on shrimp and there's so much shrimp in the fall you know late summer early fall that's coming out of the creek coming out of the bays and i feel like these fish are willing to transition and move into shallower water or move further back into creeks in different areas. So I think once, I think that's the biggest difference for me in the uh, spring versus fall time is just the positions or the areas, the locations that I'm fishing for them is a lot larger of an area, a lot broader area um, to hit and to target and target them at. But in the springtime, it's a very condensed zone and I am, you know, you know, if you stay in that zone that you're going to get fit, it's just picking it apart enough to be able to find it versus, you know, in the fall time, I'm like, oh, it didn't happen here. All right, I'm going to make a run and I feel like I can go and hit three, four different creeks. All right, that didn't work. Now I can move back out here. I can go, you know, I feel like I have a lot more movement in the fall time of where I'm targeting these fish versus in the springtime. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned something that's really important, and and that is is what the fish are doing during those two different periods, right? Why are they here in the spring, and why are they here in the fall? You you, you yeah. kind of spoke to that, right? And they're really here to chase bait in the fall, and a lot of times in the spring, they're they're pushing in up into these areas to spawn. So yep. knowing what they're doing and and why they're doing it is really a a big piece to the puzzle. Um, and I, you know, there there's going to be fish that are going to slide in and you know move up, but I think it's finding the right timing for that. I feel like last year we had a lot of fish that were kind of out on that open stuff earlier in the year, and then if you look, and this goes into summertime trout fishing, looking for the days of high water and early you know early morning high tides in cooler days or cooler nights when you get just a slight cool off or a slight change in the wind pattern or you get a random you know north blow or east blow or something like that a lot of times they'll trigger those fish during the summer and early summer especially to start moving up and to feed into some of those areas and i know last year we had I don't know, it was about a week, week and a half that was good trout fishing, but the first two days, right after a little north blow, right at the end of June, was exceptional, you know, for two to three days, and then it seemed like the fish were there, they were feeding, they were kind of happy, but it slowly died out over the next week, week and a half, so looking for those weather changes and capitalizing on some of those high water times, if you can, you know, early mornings, late afternoons, will definitely make a you know, a huge difference in finding them and being successful mm-hmm. once it comes to that time pattern. Makes sense. Um, I have one more question that I'd like to cover, and that is, let's say uh, you know of a school of fish in a transitional period. Um, a lot of times, and I think this is mainly due to variations in, in water temperature, will turn uh, these fish off. Uh, so you might be able to see them clear as day, could be 50 of them. And this is red drum I'm talking about. Uh, and trying to get those fish to eat sometimes, if we've just had a big cold snap or, you know, maybe a three or four degree temperature change, trying to get them to eat can seem impossible sometimes. Uh, and I and I think there's ways to tackle it or at least to improve your chances of, of catching them um, and I'll just, I'll go over my tactic and then, and then y'all can provide your, your input as well. Um, but I know we've, we've talked about this plenty of times on, on fish that are lockjawed, but I think scent is extremely important for lockjawed fish. And I think presentation is also very important. Um, and for those things, I like to use gulp in the three inch, uh, gulp shrimp is pretty much my go-to on any fish that is hard to get to eat if I can see them. Um, and I've tried to give them flies. I've tried to give them paddle tails, whatever. Uh, and then dead sticking it is also one thing that, that I like to do on fish that won't eat. And you'd be really surprised, uh, on how well it works sometimes because I've had actually recently about two weeks ago, I was fishing a school of maybe 50 or 60 redfish. And um, they didn't sense us, I don't think. I mean, they were acting normal. They were flashing or winking and, and you know, swimming around all together. And uh, the guy that I was taking had multiple perfect casts into him. He led him by about three or four feet in the direction that they were going, and he would twitch his bait right underneath their chins. Um, and no takes. And it's not like they were spooking off the bait, but just no takes. And then um, after a handful of tries, I had them cast it out where we thought that we, where we had seen the fish swimming the most. Had them cast it out, leave it. It was a three-inch gulp shrimp on a on a net head. And uh, I just said, let's just, just try this. I know it's going to be, you just have to have patience, but just give this a try. And um, luckily he casted it where that, that school was about to swim. And he did not move that bait whatsoever, and uh, redfish picked it up. Mm-hmm. And that, that ended up working like three times that day. Um, 
So that's one of those things. That's just something you can keep in your back pocket if you got a school of fish that that is refusing to eat, um, and it's something that you can you can try and use, especially on those fish that are are barely moving around. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just slow cruising in an area. Um, throwing a scented bait out there without even moving it and letting them pick it up and find it can mm-hmm. be can be very effective. I actually fed a, a fish like that. <laughs> The other day, uh, up in the grass, where it was just the tiniest little twitch, like four feet out in front of a fish, and then just let it sit there. And that fish just slowly, slowly kind of came over to it, and you could see him open up his mouth and slurp it up. And these are fish that I have told Jeff are impossible to feed. (laughs) 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 They are really, really, really um, a-holes, if you will. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, that tactic works for sure, and I think um, it works better than most. I mean, I, I've even had, which is, this is crazy. I've had days where I've thrown cut shrimp out there and not moved it, and they won't eat it, and then you put on a gulp and they'll eat it. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is wild. I don't know. I guess I didn't, let the, I, didn't let the, I didn't let the shrimp you sit out, have, sit you out in the heat. You must have some bad shrimp. <laughs> I should have let it sit out in the heat for a little while and get nice and stinky. Um what about you, Mike? What's your what's your go to for uh, a, a school of fish that's not going to eat? Is it more? Is it a combination of bait selection and the way that it's presented, or is it? Do you lean heavily in in one direction or the other? Um, I think set and bait selection definitely play play a good role in that. I think another thing that I noticed this, this past year a lot of times is. Finding fish in, let's say, let, let's just say a certain zone, zone A, there's certain areas within zone A, if zone A is 100, 100 to 150 yards long, there's certain areas they want to eat in and there's certain areas that they don't. I think a lot of times, you know, if you see them on one end of it and they're kind of just hanging out, you know, I don't have as good of uh, a high of a probability of feeding them as if I'm on the other end or coming from another, you know, direction, if that makes sense. 100%. Um, 100%. And I, you know, I don't know if that's a, you know, a huge, huge thing on every day, but there's definitely certain schools that act that way. And I think, um, you know, we get to spend enough time on the water to be able to see that and to dial that in. Um, just cause we're fishing, you know, kind of the same schools over and over throughout the winter. It just happens. That's how it goes. Um, but I think that's a big thing. Like the other day I had, I took a guy and we could see the fish. They were happy. They were flashing. They were in front of us. They were coming down the sides of the boat, you know, 40, 50 feet off the side of the boat. And you could see them. We were just sitting there super still. I mean, I had the boat pushed up onto a dry sandbar essentially. So we weren't rocking anything could not get them to eat. We watched them go up and they came back finally. And the only place that we could get them to eat was way off the front of the boat, completely in the glare where we could never see them. But as long as we could cast down there and present a bait to them, they would eat it there, but they would never eat it off the side of the boat. Um, you know, and that for, for me, I think that's just something that I've kind of put together over the past few years, just trying to figure out, especially once you've spent some time on them, where that zone is. And then, like you said, the bait presentation, having sent different things like that really comes into uh, comes into play as well. But, I mean, I don't know if that's always the case. You know, it, doesn't, it just depends on the school. But um, that's something that I think if you're trying to take it one step further or whatever and you're really having a tough time, that can be the game changer for you. I think that's a huge factor finding where those fish have a little bit more comfort. You know, you got a fish in a creek or a flat and, and they're swimming that zone. And you, if you can figure out where they just find a little bit more comfort than another area within that zone, it can be make all the difference and really hone and focus in on that area. A lot of times they, these fish, you know, in the spring especially, they, they will, will swim an area kind of fast right? And they're not, they're not finding much comfort and they get to this zone. It usually correlates with a little bit of depth, right? They, they kind of mm-hmm. hit the shallower patch within this area. They, they get a little bit frantic, 
they kind of get up to the zone where it's just a touch deeper and they'll start just doing circles, daisy chaining in that area and flashing. And they find a little comfort, right? And you kind of get over that zone, you hook one, they get a little pressured, they spook off, they, they swim that kind of shallower depth, that transitional period, go over to another zone that's just a touch deeper and then they start kind of, they start circling daisy chaining again. And, and sure enough, you get to that other spot where they find a little comfort, you catch another one. And then by that time, you should be moving on. Leave them alone. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, no. I think. No, I, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was going to say, I think a lot of times, like, a lot of people want to chase fish and push fish. And, you know, they're like, oh, they're there. They're leaving. Oh, no. You know, and they, they try to chase them down with the trolling motor or whatever the case is. And I know a lot of times, especially for me, I'm like, all right, we didn't get one this cast or we didn't get one at this particular moment when they were in that zone but let's sit here let's give them you know a lot of times especially during the winter you know you might sit on your power pole in a spot or sit on the push pole and just sit there in that one location for 15 20 minutes i've you know sat there and waited because i've kicked myself in the butt multiple times for moving and trying to get closer to those fish to get the shot if i just waited another minute they just swam right back down and been sitting right back in the same exact spot. So I think just really having patience with those fish and watching them and learning how they're, how they're moving around and where they want to be at and where they, like Jeff said, have the most comfortability makes a huge difference in being able to get them. Yeah. Patience with tough to feed fish is, is uh, extremely important. Yeah. And knowing when to leave. Yep. which is which is you know up for interpretation but if you feel like you've gotten 10 good casts in them in areas that they feel comfortable and they're still not eating maybe try another group of fish or come back to them on a different tide and yeah and try it, them that way yeah if you if you find some fish that are just abnormally spooky they were probably recently pressured yeah, they probably fished two hours before you got there you, you <laughs> don't need to pressure them anymore so yeah um, nope. I think we covered everything that, that I was hoping to cover, um, as far as transitional periods are concerned. We talked about power fishing. We talked about trout fishing and, and fishing schools of fish that are seemingly, um, not wanting to eat. Uh, is there anything else y'all wanted to add? We talked about fish logs. Yeah. We talked about that. Um, I think everything. Maybe the one thing. I would say or add to, you know, just because you see fish in zone A or spot A through F on day one, two, or three of the of your week, and you get this. This is something that I really keyed in, not necessarily keyed in on last year, but started to push myself to explore a little bit more and not be afraid to make those moves. But you know, if it's not happening in a zone and you want to do that particular type of fishing, don't be afraid to pull the trigger to make the move. You know, especially during this time of year, when you're in transition, those fish, once a couple people find them, and all they really beat up on them, some days it just doesn't happen, or they're not happy, or whatever the case may be. Don't be afraid to pull the trigger and make a big move and go to something completely different, or a completely different area, or whatever and just try a new location and try breaking it down the same way that you'd be doing the other stuff but you know just really trying to focus in on little nuances and different things um but just getting to a new piece of water or something that feels a little different or seems a little different because a lot of times these fish i mean it doesn't take much you know for them to move from one area to another or to really want to feed in another area versus the one that you've been in because something has changed, whether it's water temperature, barometric pressure, the amount of bait that's there, whatever the case may be, but don't be afraid to make a move and try something completely different than what you've tried for the past few days or the past few times you've been out because it changes very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good like point. It like it well guys i hope you enjoyed this one and i hope it uh helps you in these transitional periods to catch more fish and 
and try and figure out the puzzle. Uh, Jeff and Mike, thank y'all so much sure. for coming on. Um, you can find Jeff. Jeff, what's your Instagram? Uh, it's Jeff Kid Fishing. Jeff Kid Fishing, and and Mike is what's Captain Mike Bell. All right, there you go. Uh, and we'll have links to both their websites, or I guess Jeff's website. Um, and Mike works with with Judd, so that's always on the podcast episode uh, links. So you can find us there, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks. Thank you.